You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week is mentalist, hypnotist and magician Keith Barry. Barry's interest in magic began when he was 14 years old when he purchased a book called Magic for the Complete Klutz and like they say, the rest is history. Keith will be performing in the INEC on the 11th of June and I'm really looking forward to seeing him again live. You can still pick up your tickets on Ticketmaster or at the INEC box office. I'm delighted to be talking to Keith today because he's he's someone that I really looked up to for a while and as I said, this will be my, my sixth time seeing him live and I could go to him every second weekend if he was in the Glen Eagle because I love what he does and I suppose it just goes to show the power of the mind and stuff. It's a it's a special um, talent to have what he does and I know I know a lot of people don't um don't believe in it and they say that it's fake and it's it's pre made before the shows and stuff, but um I suppose each to their own. That's what opinions are for for, for um for making debates and and everything. So like I said, each to their own. I love what he does. You might hate it, but we still have to put some respect on the man's name. So as I said, you can still pick up your tickets on Ticketmaster or they're still available at the INEC box office. So pick them up and go and see um go and see Keith and support him on the 11th of June in the INEC. Sit back and enjoy the show. Do you want to take me back to, I suppose, when you were growing up? Was magic always something that you... You, you you had in mind when you were young. Yeah, so look, I, I got a Paul Daniels magic set. Now, you're too young to know who Paul Daniels is probably, but he was the foremost magician when I was young. So way back in the 1980s, Paul Daniels would have been the foremost magician, certainly in Europe. Uh, and he, he had his own TV series, and I got a Paul Daniels magic set um, when I was about five years of age. And that inspired me and got my interest going in magic, and then it just kind of snowballed on from there, you know? And um, were you the kind of person that, because I remember when I was young, I was always kind of, I love magic when I was younger, and I'd always be kind of doing shows in front of mm. my parents and family. Was that always something in the family as well? No, no, there was nothing in the family. I mean, my dad was a singer, so he would do all of the different show bands around Ireland and uh, and the shows. So the tops of the town would have been a big event that would happen every year down in Waterford. He'd always be the lead in those um, in those musicals. So I think I got my performance aspect from him. But no, magic is not something that was in the family at all, you know? Um, I, I, I was listening to one of the, the TED Talks last night. It's one of the... Top 25 in the world, would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. So my TED Talk, God, I think it's been up there since 2005, maybe, something like that. And it's been consistently in the top 25 uh, most viewed TED Talks of all time. So, yeah, I think I think it's got 32 million downloads or something crazy now, which is insane, you know? Mad. What, um, what does that mean to you to have all the people downloaded and viewing it? Well, it's great actually from just a brand perspective. So I, I still get a lot of gigs out of people discovering me through the TED platform. So anybody who doesn't know TED is technology entertainment design and it's a big platform online. Um, there's now a thing called TEDx. So a lot of people say that they've done a TED talk when they've done TEDx and look more power to them. But actually that's just a spin off of TED. The real 
I suppose, value from doing a TED Talk is doing TED itself, that TED I've actually done two TED Talks. The other one, uh, they didn't load up. So there's still another TED Talk of me uh, stored in a computer somewhere over in the States. So I actually did two TED Talks. But yeah, look, for me, um, you know, I end up doing crazy gigs in Hong Kong and all over the world. And that's as a direct result of doing those TED Talks, you know. And where do they actually take place, the TED Talks? Do they, is it in... Dublin or do you like go to somewhere? No, no. So so the the main TED Talk event happens predominantly in the States every year. So the one that I did, or both that I did actually, uh, were in Monterey in California. Um, so that's where the big conference every year happens. Uh, but the spin-off TEDx talks uh, happen all over the world. So I know that there's been some in, I think Tala here in Dublin, they did did some. Um, and there may, there may have been other TEDx events around Ireland. I'm not so sure, you know. And are they kind of the TEDx? Are they kind of for, I suppose, like kind of smaller stories and people? Exactly, that, that yeah. wouldn't be yes. as annoying. Exactly. But, and it still gives them an opportunity to be part of the TED brand, I suppose. Um, and like you said, get their stories out there. So it's still a fantastic experience, I think. And I suppose with the digitization of the, the modern world that we're in, it's probably a good stepping stone to perhaps moving forward to actually getting a TED talk itself. So I'd say it's a great place for people to start, you know. Um, moving on, I the Ellen DeGeneres show. You um you were with her a few years back, I believe, and you you appeared on on True Zoom or something after that. What was that like? Because um you you done something with her and she was obviously really surprised. I just seen seen it the last day. Yeah, so I've I've been on Ellen eight times, I think now, seven or eight times. I've probably been one of the uh, front runner guests over all the years. Obviously, she stopped now. I think they just recorded their last episode maybe last week. Um, but look, I always had a fantastic experience of those seven or eight appearances. Like they were all in person, except for my last one, which was just last year, November. Uh, and that was virtually from the cabin that I'm talking to you from uh, here in the back of my house. So that was a real surreal experience to be back on there virtually. But look, I always had a fantastic time on Ellen. Um, and yeah, like she's a big fan of magic. So I think I was probably the first magician. I'm going to guess I was the first magician that she ever had on. But really? since then, there's been loads of magicians. Actually, uh, a young lad that I mentor, uh, you may have heard of him, Aidan McCann. So I help Aidan you know, quite a bit just and I have helped him over the years quite a bit. Um, but he, he, he's he been on Ellen a couple of times himself, which is lovely to see just another Irish magician on there, you know? Um, speaking of, um, I suppose, Irish magicians, have you noticed since when you started, um, I suppose, back when, when you were younger, up until now, have you seen a growth in magicians, not only in, I suppose, the world, but in Ireland, kind of up-and-coming ones? Yeah, there's certainly been a surge in them. Um, so th there's more magicians probably now than there ever has been. Um, and that's probably due to, again, digitization, having access to platforms where they can share secrets and find out secrets and things like that. Um, you know, I, I'm not so sure that that's really a good thing, um, you know, because there's a lot of, dare I say it, there's a lot of bad magicians out there. Um, and it's okay to be a bad magician if it's your hobby, but uh, there's bad magicians out there who are who call themselves professional magicians. There's some good ones out there now as well, so don't get me wrong. Um, but I think people sometimes see magic as maybe being easy, and they, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's one of the most difficult arts um, to master, you know, um, certainly from my perspective. 
and I, I don't consider myself a master of the craft uh, at all. But uh, you know, ultimately, I think just that surge of magicians. You know, they all, uh, very often I get asked by young magicians, you know, how do I become a professional magician? What do I need to do? And I just tell them, stop looking online and start reading books. You know, so as I speak to you here today, like I know a lot of people are listening to this rather than watching, but ultimately. I'm literally surrounded by books. So I had to put that extra bookshelf up there to contain those books. That's because, that's because that shelf is full, that shelf is full. Um, and then I've got a library inside that's full and a library in another house of mine that's full. So um, so I start there and I tell them to start there. Uh, books, 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 and then more books, you know. From kind of magicians that do go on, Britain's Got Talent and stuff, as um, like you've been in the industry for years, can you actually notice like them doing the tricks and obviously the judges are blown away, but can you notice what they're actually doing? Do you yeah, know it's a good I'm question. Saying? It's a good question. When you get a certain level, you pretty much know how all of the magic works and how all the mentalism works. So yeah, look, I, I haven't been fooled in about 12 years, I'd say. I think it was the last time I was fooled. Uh, so, and I've seen obviously a lot of magic and mentalism. So the last time I was fooled was in Las Vegas, actually. I was at a magic convention of all things. And a guy called Chad Long was there and he'd be very well known at the magic world. And he just did this trick just blew me away. And to this day, I don't know how it's done. And, and I don't want to know how it's done. That's the funny thing, right? Because uh, like, that's the, the last moment of wonder that I remember. So I want to kind of hang on to the wonder rather than know how it's done, you know? How, um, how would you come up with your, say like your hypnosis and mental, mentalist and stuff? Do you, do they come from, I suppose, not reading books because you don't get them off there, but do the books help you in order to create your own stuff? Yeah. So look, I'm always looking for inspiration everywhere. So I look to people for inspiration. I have a lot of conversations, deep, meaningful conversations with interesting characters. There's a very interesting character down your direction, actually. It was a mentor of mine, um, Tony Doc Shields. So heard the uh, name, actually. Yeah. So Doc is in his 80s now. And he would have taken uh, one of the most famous photographs that was ever taken of the Loch Ness Monster. But he's also a magician, uh, a mentalist, a surrealistic artist, just a fantastic brain, really. So when I'm looking for inspiration, I very often just have a deep conversation with Doc. Um, but then also, like you mentioned, like I'll go to my books, I'll research, I'll research online. And then I'll literally, like in the corner of my cabin here, you can see it there. So I've got a reading chair back there. But I'll kick back in that. And then up there, you can see there's headphones and a blindfold. So I'll put on the blindfold and put on what's called binaural beats, which are uh, basically a, a sound effect, if you like, to help you get into an alpha brainwave state. So, you know, to simplify it, I self-hypnotize myself and then creatively visualize. So I visualize what it is that I want to do in a theater and I just allow ideas and concepts and thoughts come to mind. Um, and then I do a lot of automatic writing as well. So when I'm in that altered state of mind i'll just take the cap off a pen grab a sheet of paper and allow my hand to move um and with no judgment of what my thoughts are uh, and i'll fill pages like that and then when i come out of that altered state of mind i'll look at the pages and try and use those to inspire creativity and things like that so yeah i'd like i i even in movies like so I, i look at movies for inspiration too so you know lots of different ways i suppose to develop your own material and develop your own thoughts you know and the, the purpose of the blindfold and the headphones, that's just kind of to block out the outside world and stuff as well, is it? Yeah, to get internal. You know, if you cut off one of your senses, your other senses become heightened. 
And as I said, the, the headphones are, again, just to help me get into that alpha brainwave state, which is the sweet spot you kind of need to be in, in order to effectively, creatively visualize whatever it is that you want to visualize. Um, so yeah, I would do that quite a bit, you know. The, the way you said there, you just kind of, you have pages full of stuff that you come up with when you're doing that. Have you ever had a case where you've come up with something, but then you look back through the book and say you've seen something that you jotted down from six months ago, and would you interpret that into the the thing yeah. that you're creating? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I just I have journals and journals up there of different ideas and concepts and thoughts. So I very often go back and reflect on things, like you said, that I I perhaps drew. So I do a lot of doodling, uh, drew or wrote or or just you know maybe I I could even just write down a quote sometimes that I might have heard somewhere, and that could inspire me. Like I remember hearing a quote one time uh by einstein and it was imagination is more important than knowledge uh, and i just heard that quote and i wrote it down and then all of a sudden i developed a whole like i went back to that after a couple of years i found it and then that inspired my brain hacker stage show and that whole brain hacker stage show ultimately ended up being about einstein really so mm-hmm. you know and that one quote just inspired that whole show you know it's just something as small as that yeah. Um, something that I find fascinating and I know a lot of magicians do it, but like I was saying to you before I've been to five of your shows and mm. body language plays a huge part I, I presume in um, when you're kind of getting to know the person and trying to get in their head how yeah, important yeah. is body language in in your industry and when you're trying to connect with someone well, I think it's more important even outside of my industry, but obviously uh, somebody like myself, I'm very well versed in nonverbal communication. And uh, I always say, so I give a lot of talks to uh, high performing executives and companies. And I ask them the question, like, when was the last time that you studied nonverbal communication? And most of them, the answer is just never, like they haven't studied it. So uh, for me, look, first of all, in my own work, it's massively important. So when I'm trying to hack a brain or get inside somebody's head or whatever it is, I, I'm reading them all the time. So I'm looking at asymmetrical shoulder shrugs, asymmetrical lip movement, eye accessing cues, all of these things help me know what somebody's thinking without them saying a single word. Um, so it's massively important. But but I also think in business and in life in general, you know, wouldn't it be, for example, wouldn't it be beneficial for you, Ian, to know if somebody's lying to you? So therefore, so therefore, and I think it's beneficial for everybody. So for me, um, you know, I've studied and use and put into practice both in my business on stage and in my personal life, like lie detection skills. So I really love, you know, looking at the carotid artery in somebody's neck and noticing whether that's starting to pulsate or not, all the way through to things like filler words, forensic vocal analysis. Look, I could talk to you all day, but just that alone, you know. It's just the small things um, that give away stuff. Um, oh, yeah, so, so, something else is... um and you, you speak a lot about it, is the subconscious mind and the conscious. Would mm. you explain, is the subconscious like in the back that can control stuff that you're not thinking about? Is that it? Yeah, well, you're look, you really should, well, not you, I'm talking about just in, gener- in the general sense, everybody should know how to activate their subconscious mind because it's where your concerns lie, where your anxieties lie, where your stress lies. The reason, reason people get stressed and anxious is because their, you know, their subconscious mind dumps uh, a hormonal response to a situation. So it could be, um, you know, dump adrenaline in, it could dump uh, cortisol in. And, and ultimately, these are stress hormones. And if we don't know how to deal with those stress hormones, then we're going to 
suffer with anxiety, stress, depression, depression, all these kind of different things. So, you know, your subconscious mind regulates your autonomic nervous system, which is your heart rate, your blood flow, your breathing, like you mentioned, all the things that you don't really think about, right? So my job, if you like, is, you know, when I'm helping people is to teach them how to hack their subconscious mind. Because if you hack your subconscious mind, you can, you know, use it to, as I mentioned before, inspire creativity, but you can also use it to reduce your anxiety levels, stress levels. And then you can use that in turn also to, you know, visualize your goals, your dreams, and your targets. And what will happen there is new neural pathways will actually form like under creative visualization. We've studied this. Scientists have studied this under ECG machines. So you'll create new neural pathways and therefore what will happen is your subconscious mind will be working in the background quietly, like you said, kind of invisibly to help you achieve those goals, those dreams, those targets. And you won't be aware of it because it's subconscious, right? But then what you'll find is that you just move quicker, faster, more focused towards those goals and those dreams if you learn how to hack your subconscious, you know? The the brain is such a... And even I've noticed since I had my accident, like, you know, like I had two choices, whether to just curl up in a ball or to keep going. Mm. But I even mindset now, like I find, you know, I do a lot of visualization, like, you know, uh, a board with stuff that I want to to yeah. work towards. How, like how, how the brain, how crazy is the, the brain and what role it plays a huge part in, in everyone's day-to-day life how important is the brain and how like how how does it do more stuff than we actually think it's a good question see i I think it's interesting that you know a lot of people go to the gym every day right um or every other day or whatever it may be um and people seem very focused on food and yeah there's a lot of mental health advocates out there which i also question that by the way mental health advocates that are out there um we can talk separately with that if you want, but, but ultimately, um, you know, you should learn to control your mind above and beyond everything else. Cause if you can control your mind, then you can ultimately properly control like what you're eating, your, your daily habits, uh, your, your targets, your goals, your dreams. And, and people for some reason seem to have bypassed that, right? They seem to just not understand they can do far more with their brain than they ever thought possible. Um, look you're a fantastic example of it right and uh you know i remember i had a massive car accident back in 2007 where my leg my leg was literally hanging off me right so uh, my knee was demolished my tibia amphibia had basically disintegrated all the way down my left foot was wrapped up around my shin the wrong way and all the metatarsals down to my toes were broken i remember being in that moment and obviously that's a really bad day right um but I remember being in that moment, just understanding that the most important thing that I can do in that moment is accepting the moment. Which sounds crazy, right? So I'm sitting in the car with my leg destroyed and I just accepted it there and then because I knew by accepting what had happened, as tragic and terrible as it was, I could then use the power of positive thinking to heal myself immediately from that second. And the reason I thought like that wasn't by chance. The reason I thought like that is because that's the way I've programmed my mind over time, Yeah, you know, and, and resilient people program their minds all of the time. Um, and like, like what you said, you've got your vision board. So important, this stuff, people bypass this and they, and sometimes people smirk at it and they might, you know, snigger at it and stuff. Uh, but these are the people that ultimately behind the scenes, I end up having to help because they're depressed, yeah. they're, they're lonely, their relationships are broken. 
Um, you know, so for me, I just I'm fascinated by the power of the mind. I'm fascinated by what we what we're capable of and doing crazy things. You know, always with the understanding that there are limitations within science, right? So, um, you know, I think you know we can dream and we can have you know what some people would think is impossible tasks or dreams, but you know ultimately. You know, if you really learn to take control of your mind over your body, then you will achieve astounding results outside of what other people might consider possible, you know. What do you think is more beneficial, having a long-term goal, say like in a year's time I want to be a millionaire, or short-term, short-term goals? Do you think that the short-term goals kind of add up to the big one? Do you think it's more important to have short- or long-term goals? Goals. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think any are less or more important than each other. Like I've written about this in my book, so I've got a book out called Brain Hacks, and I talk about habits in there um, and goals. And, and I think it's so important to have four different types of goals. So one is short term, second is medium term, third is long term. But the bit a lot of people miss is crazy zany goals and dreams. Not enough, not enough people allow themselves to dream crazy goals. So like one of my goals, one of my dreams is to climb Kilimanjaro in my underpants with the Iceman Wim Hof, right? Why? People say to me, why? I just go, why not? And, and they, they look at me. So I'm all about adventure in life, right? And curiosity. Like, yeah, I like to sit down and watch the odd program on Netflix, right? But I don't get absorbed by that. Like, I've got so many things that I want to do in life and so many things that I'm interested in. Like I don't have nearly enough hours in the day. So when people say to me they're bored, I'm like, that's just a lazy mindset right yeah. there. Like I've got a I've got a hydroponic set going on in, in, in my house right now. So I'm trying to grow like peppers and all kinds of mad stuff and that. Then I've got like my latest thing, by the way, is sprouting seeds in jars because it's really good for your uh, gut brain um, health. So I sprout seeds, but that's only uh, that's only like this week's project, right? So I've just started sprouting seeds in jars. So I'm really fascinated by that. And then I do a lot of fishing um, and then the power of psychology. And I'm looking up here at my board because I've got them up here uh, right in front of me. I've got a whiteboard there. So short term, I'll tell you what some of them are actually, just because you asked. Short term, hit 83 kilos by February 28th. So that, so I, I have to update this. This was like, you know, way back. That was one. And I hit eight, 85 kilo or 83 kilos rather. Uh, but I weighed myself yesterday. I'm back up to 89. So now I have to redo that. And go okay i gotta hit 83 back by the end of the summer or whatever it is uh get puzzle scripted so i i had that done uh, so medium term medium term to me is like six months right so uh, anywhere from now to six months uh start the podcast so definitely by september i'll probably start my own podcast um sell sell out tour so the tour is just about sold out so that's great grow facebook instagram TikTok. i came off TikTok. I'm too old for it, being honest. I couldn't be bothered Ian. Um, no dancing. I don't find I don't find it I don't find it deep or interesting or I don't even find it entertaining, so it's not really for me. Um and then long term is new TV show in the UK or the US. So they're the kind of things that I have up on my board, but then I vision those, I activate on them. But we have to take action then, right? So when you say which is more important, short term or long term, they're all important. But the most important thing that you need to do, I always call it like a single step. Just start with a single step towards your goal or your dream and action, whatever that action is, then magnify that action. Like Grant Cardone says, 10 exit. You can look at it whatever way you want, but ultimately 
you got to take massive levels of action. Like to get on Ellen DeGeneres virtually last year, it took me 140 points of action to get on that show. Like that's how many points I counted it. It was like 96 emails and 44 phone calls to get on it. Um, and that was me just pitching myself. But most people will stop after getting like three unresponded calls. After three, I went another 141 times. And then I got on to Ellen DeGeneres. That's what it took, you know. Now that we're in this time and I suppose this day and age, psychology in sports is getting a way more advanced and stuff. Mm. Even there, you know, Manchester United, they only brought in a proper sports psychologist lately. But um, I know you were on off the ball and you spoke about it working with athletes and stuff. How important do you think sports psychology is to, to have in a team and stuff? Well, I think it's crazy that even some of the top athletes in the world and top teams in the world still don't use sports psychology to the extent that they should use it. You know, uh, all of the top performers in the world in business and in, in you know, professional sports should be looking for the edge because the edge that, you know, distinguishes peak performers from average performers is the edge that, you know, will, you know, determine whether a match is won or lost on two points or a point or whatever it might be. Um, so for me, it's massively important. You know, I've worked with, you know, a number of uh, rugby players uh, and interestingly enough, Ian, like I've worked with quite a number of rugby players, some of which don't want people to know that I work with them. They're just, they want to keep it confidential. So I can't talk about them. Um, and then there's some who have talked about the work that I've done with them. Keith Earl's been one, Rory Best being another one. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's, it's so key, you know, and, uh, you know, very often I think what happens is the the coaches like the the coaches and the management staff in teams they think they can do it themselves so that you know they'll try and inspire the team and motivate the team and all the rest but they're not versed in again in the subconscious mind which is my speciality um but they're also not versed in even things such as cbt cognitive behavioral therapy or you know other techniques that will bring a team to peak performance you know so i think it's so important i think um in days and age we're in like you know, take a rugby team, for example, they all have the, uh, the whatever you call it, the electronic tag, the tracker on their back. So people don't know this, like that's going up to a satellite straight down to the sidelines and they're making decisions based on the metrics that they're getting from the, the tags on rugby players' backs in the moment. Um, during the match? During the match, yeah. yeah. Really? I yeah, thought yeah, it was that... only after the match they looked at that. No, no, very often you see them on their, do you not see them on their computers in the yeah, match? Yeah, yeah, rugby. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah, that's what they're doing. But here's the crazy thing about that, right? Is they're looking at all these metrics, they're making all these key decisions, but yet they're not looking at the mental behavior of the players, right? So in the days and ages that we're in, the fact that they can send a message up to a satellite back down live time and make decisions based on that, wouldn't you think that it'd be equally as important as what I'm saying to have a mental strategist there just watching the body language of the players, watching how their heads are held, watching their reactions to certain things on the pitch and so on and so on and so on. Uh, but it's the same for all sports. Like I've worked with golfers and tennis players, badminton players, and you know, uh, and it's the same thing. I remember I was working with Scott Evans years ago now. Uh, he was our Olympic badminton player and uh, he had a hot head. So he used to, he was the only, one of the only badminton players who used to get sent off. He was kind of the, what was his name? John McEnroe, or I think it was McEnroe, was the tennis player. He used to always get sent yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, so he was kind of the McEnroe of 
badminton, if you like. So I had to get him to calm his headspace down, you know, uh, in the moment so that he wouldn't get sent off. And, and he did brilliantly well, uh, you know, uh, when I was working with him, you know. Like you said, um, a lot of coaches and stuff think that they can do it themselves. That's just like the tip of the iceberg. But then bringing in someone like yourself, you go deeper down in the iceberg and there are so many things exactly. like that they're not training and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you find um, when people meet you on the on the street that they ask you to do a, a magic trick straight away? But I was thinking of it this way. Like if you see a singer, you don't ask them to sing a song straight away on the street. Do a yeah, lot yeah. of people ask you when they meet you? Oh, yeah. Like I got asked three times today, um, you know, to, to do st- something for somebody. But I think that's part and parcel of being a magician. It's not it's very different than being a singer or a comedian. So you're right. People don't go up to Jason Byrne and go, tell us a joke. Like, it just doesn't really happen that way. Um, but for me, I don't mind it. Like, for example, you know, without you even asking, here's the thing. Look, um, I've already put something inside your head. Like, I've got some index cards here. I'm going to write something down. So, I'll, uh, so okay. I think, yeah, I think this is for you. Okay, good. I'll kind of scribble that down, but I'll get rid of the marker. So here's the idea. Um, I put a thought inside your head. Now, if I just ask you to name a number between like one and 10, right? Most people will just say seven. Now that's just kind of statistics, right? But how you get outside of statistics is I want you to name a number between one and 521. So name a number between one and 521. Do I say keep it in my head? No, no, out loud so all your listeners know. 312. Why did you go with 312? Just wanted to keep a bit lower than 500. But you see, I scribbled something down a few moments ago, and I'll do it slowly. Look, what does it say? Stop. 312. Ian will say 312. That's what it says. <laughs> I always wanted you to do something like that on me, but that's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Honestly, I'm no words for it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, the the Merlin Award that you won going back a few years ago. That's yeah. that's that's one of the highest awards, I suppose. That like a magician and that that you can win in that industry. Mm. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, What's it's like that? the Oscar. Like it truly is like the Oscars of the magic world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like for me, yeah, it was amazing to get that. So I won uh, the Merlin award for mentalist of the year. And like, it's a great honor in the magic world to get that award. You know, you can't get higher than it really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, it was fantastic to get that. And like the, the head of the IMS, the international magician society, he flew in Tony Hassini and he, it was a surprise for me. My manager knew about it at the time, but I didn't know about it. So he came on stage in the Olympia and handed me my Oscar of the magic world. So it was fantastic to get that, you know. Um, from being to your shows, I kind of gather that it's not all magic and that kind of side of stuff. You bring a lot of like, I suppose, emotional things in and, mm. you know, like connecting with somebody and stuff. Do you try to focus on that kind of stuff as opposed to doing all magic. Yeah, so the new show, um, which is Reconnected, as you know, I'm on tour with that now. I'm coming this weekend to the INEC. So grab your tickets now, people out there. Absolutely. Um, but look, with the Reconnected show, uh, like it is more about the emotion than the tricks themselves. So 
uh, you know, I start the whole show by getting everybody to hack into the brains of the person that they're with. So I teach people how to do what I do. So they immediately create that instant reconnection right there subconsciously, because you imagine that you turn to the person that you're with and then you hack into their brain and tell them a thought that you couldn't possibly have known. So that's kind of a brilliant way to start the show. And, and I'm kind of very proud of that, actually. Um, and then it goes on from there. I've got a danger aspect to the show, uh, but that danger aspect is designed to reconnect somebody with their inner sense of wonder, with their inner sense of magic. Um, so I've got a crossbow and I shoot an arrow across the stage at like 150 foot per second. Um, and, and then I've got another routine where I, uh, you know, contact the dead. Uh, but I say at the outset, this is an illusion. Uh, I don't believe anybody can contact the dead, but we're going to do it anyway. And then I do it anyway and crazy stuff happens, right, when I contact the dead. Um, uh, so it goes on from there. And then the end of this show is actually the most emotionally charged ending to a show that I've ever designed. Um, and if people out there are interested, you know, some people might be on the fence about whether to come to a show or not. Just look up my Facebook page, look up my Instagram page. I've got photographs, I've got video um, up of previous shows that just happened a week or two weeks ago. Um, and then you can decide for yourselves. But like, it's also designed to be a laugh a minute, might I add. So uh, there's a real feel good factor in the show as well, you know. The name of the show, um, Reconnected, how did that come about? Is it kind of after lockdown, kind of people kind of disconnected from life and stuff? Is it, Was that the inspiration or how did you? Yeah, so for me, like, you know, I always am very mindful of theming my shows. So I started to write the show, you know, a year and a half ago, I'd say now at this stage. Um, but obviously, like, uh, I was expecting to tour it last year. Then that didn't happen. And then it was, you know, supposed to tour it in January, February, March, and that didn't happen. So like, ultimately it took like a long time to get here uh, and reconnect people. But yeah, look at like, you know, my last show was called Insanity. Um, and that was just a completely insane kind of show. And it was a bonkers show and a nuts show. Um, so with this show, uh, you know, I, I think it's perfect for the times that we're in because I think people truly do feel that they need to reconnect. Um, and, you know, hence the name. Uh, I just didn't think it would take this long to reconnect us all, you know. Did, um, is it something that you've done before? Like you said, you're going to be doing is turning to the person beside you and hacking into their brain. And even the, the bit at the end of the show, have you done that before? No, no, these are all, no, the whole show is brand new from start to finish. So somebody like yourself who's been to five shows, you won't recognize any of it. Um, and that's what I love about it. I mean, I'm very mindful of changing all of my shows every single year. So, like, as I mentioned, like this Saturday night, uh, June 11th, I'm in the INEC. And, you know, people who've come to the INEC to see me before, they'll have a brand new experience from start to finish. It'll be wonder. It'll be enchantment. It'll be scary at times for people. Um, but with all that being said, I want people to leave the INEC with a real feel-good factor and actually genuinely feeling that they're just reconnected with other human beings again. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, for some people, this Saturday night, it could be like the first night that they've gone to an event since the world has opened back up. So I'm also mindful of that too, you know? Um, but look, I'm excited to get uh, back down there on the stage. Uh, it's my, as I, I was telling you off air, like the INEC and the Olympia are my two favorite venues to play. And I'll be going for a couple of drinks in town afterwards as well. That's the right job. I'll, I'll be staying, I'll be staying that night. I haven't stayed, I haven't stayed overnight hardly anywhere on this tour, but of course down there I'll be staying overnight. So yeah, there'll be a bit of a party, a bit of a shindig afterwards. Is it back-to-back -back shows? Like, like you said, you've never really stayed in a place. Um, 
say now in Killarney, would you have to be somewhere the next night straight away or would you have to leave? No, no. So uh, I just got lucky this time. Depends. So like, you know, sometimes I could have a show the next night. Like I'm generally doing two, three or four shows a week. It just depends. We It's different every week. Uh, but Killarney, I got lucky this time. So I've got Sunday off. Um, so then I knew I could go down to Reedy's or wherever I, I end up yeah. uh, into, into Paul Travos for a meal beforehand. And then uh, I'll probably end up in Reedy's or somewhere mad afterwards, you know? Do you... Um... It was obviously your first time in years not not being on a stage for a for a period of time. Have you, when you were doing stuff on Zoom and online now, like we're doing here, and I've seen a few interviews that you've done through Zoom during the pandemic. But do you find it harder to kind of like you don't want me there plan stuff in people's mind and stuff virtually than it is in person? No, not at all. I mean, like I actually. I actually love doing it online. So look, I'm going to have to run in a minute because I've got to run to a gig. But uh, I've got an envelope back here, right? So I want you to read these words out loud. Go ahead and read those words. Experience, self-belief, innovative, unleash, resilient. Unselfish. Unselfish, resilient, confident, mindful, observant, and trusting. Okay, so these are the attributes that I look for people that I work with, right? So I look for people who are experienced. I look for people who are innovative and unselfish and so on. But I've got a fun book here. We'll get back to that in a minute. I've got a fun book here. Uh, It's called Celebrity Fails. So it's all the awkward, dumb, silly things that celebrities have said over time. So I'm going to show you that, like, it's just a book, a cheap book that you can get online. But I'm going to show you that all the celebrities are different, just so everybody knows who's listening. So you call a few of them out loud. Look, I'll just stop at random places. Who's that there? Kanye West. Kanye's in there. Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq is in there. Wesley Snipes. Okay, what the Wesley Snipes say? That was silly. Hang on, let's take a look. Okay, dumb stuff. He had a new line lawsuit and he had an incident involving a South African passport or something. Uh, Michelle Bachman is in there. Like Naomi Campbell is in there. Look, there's Naomi. So Naomi said, I love England, especially the food. There's nothing I like more than a lovely bowl of pasta. She thought pasta was an English food. Okay, but you get the idea. There's literally, look, if I flick through them, you can see all the names changed. They're all different. But here's the idea. I've already put a number inside your head again. I love numbers. So there's 128 pages inside this book. Name the number that's inside your head out loud. And we'll go to that celebrity at random, whoever's on that page. Um, 62. 62. Let's go to 62 and see who's at page 62. Now, I'll show you some along the way as well, just so you know that they're all different. But like, like, let's go here. So, for example, 56 would have been? Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. So we're going to 62. So just so we know, 60 and 61 would have been? Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. So we're going to go to one more page, to 62, and it is? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. That's an interesting choice. Now... It's interesting for a number of different reasons. You could have had anybody in that book and you saw that they're all different. But what movie was just released a few days ago? Top Gun. Top Gun. Top Gun was just released. And the star in that is, of course, Tom Cruise, right? Now, that just could be a coincidence, Ian. But back here, inside the envelope, well, I've got something inside here, Ian. There's a photograph. Now, there's thousands of celebrities inside here. Inside there... I've got one photograph and one photograph only. And I think you know where this is going. Ian, I've got a photograph. It is Tom Cruise. He was exactly three weeks old when that was taken. Keith. 
you look like you don't believe that that might be Tom Cruise. No, and that's why I put him on the back as well. I see there he is. Right there. That's Tom absolutely Cruise. insane, man. I don't know. Well, here's, the, here's the interesting thing about it, Ian. Let me tell you how it's done. You see, I put Tom Cruise inside your head before it all even began. Because you can see these words that you just read a few moments ago. But if you look at the first letter of every word reading from the bottom up, it says T-O-M. T-O-M. C-R-U-I-S-E. Tom Cruise. Ian, he was there all along. He, that's not good for my mind. <laughs> Honest to God, man. Honestly. I just don't know how you do it. And I know a lot of people can be skeptical, but I don't know. I'm last words. Well, look, uh, I'm going to have to run out the trap here on that one. Saturday, 11th of June. You can still pick up your tickets on Ticketmaster and uh, box office in the INEC. And from a person that's been at five or so already, I couldn't recommend them enough. And hopefully I'll meet you after. And I'm so looking forward to it. And everyone come along. Might be your first time out since the pandemic. And I can't wait. Yeah, well, thanks. And I'll see you there for sure. Come backstage. We'll, uh, we'll have a beverage of your choice, whether it's a, a Coke, a water, a beer, whatever you want. All right. Keith, you're a gent. And thanks so much for this. No worries. Thanks very much. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to Keith and his story because it's truly amazing what he what he does. And I, as I said in the intro, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of him. And I've seen him, I think... When I, when I go to him now in June, it'll be my sixth time seeing him live. It still fascinates me, everything that he that he does. And, you know, the mind, it just goes to show how powerful it is and stuff. And I know a lot of people don't believe in this kind of magic and stuff, but each to their own because everybody has a different perspective on him. So I hope you all enjoyed and thanks for willing to keep for coming in. And I hope I get to see him after the show or before it on the, on the 11th. Stay tuned to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley will be up after me. I'll be back at the same time next week from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.